Okay. Okay, let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer as we start up here. Okay. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, Lord, this morning again. Uh, once again, we are thankful uh, uh, for our brothers and sisters here. We're thankful for Jesus Christ who died for us, Lord, uh, who, who uh, reconciled us to you. Um, I pray, God, um, that you would enlighten this text, that you would uh, come here and that you would uh, be with us, Lord. Um, and that this, uh, that you're by your spirit, um, it would illuminate the text here for us, God, and that we would give you worship and praise and, uh, and all the glory that you so richly deserve. Uh, it's in Jesus name that we pray these things. Amen. So, uh, today I'm excited. I'm excited that, um, we're, we're, um, going to come out of James for a little bit. Um, and we're going to start, uh, this is a, a, a standalone, um, uh, sermon and it is going to be over two, uh, beautiful stories of Thanksgiving. And it's funny when, 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 uh, I w we were choosing what to, what to be talking about today. Um, I, I had, I've been thinking about this text personally in my own life for, for a while now, for, for months. And, um, I didn't give any there was not a single thought in my mind that thought about Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is here. It's going to be here on Thursday and this flows perfectly. It flows right into it. So our, our text today is going to be Luke chapter 17 and it's going to be verses 11 through 19. And uh, we're also going to be looking at second Kings five. Also, if you want to just kind of keep a finger there for, for later on, we're going to be looking at two different stories kind of side by side. Um, but these are stories, this story right here in particular in Luke is one of, of raw gratitude. Um, um, and these two stories, they have similar elements together, which is why we're going to be looking at both of them. Um, but I really want to take some time and unpack just how beautiful these texts are and how they glorify God. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, this text here in Luke, Luke 17, 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. It's unclear exactly where Christ was in his ministry when this happened. Um, there are certain things that lend themselves uh, to, to, so that we can know that this was actually a little bit later on in his ministry. Um, particularly, this is the second time in Luke where um, lepers are healed. Um, this happens um, earlier on in Luke chapter 4. This also takes place, this same uh, um, uh, instance of a leper being healed takes place in Matthew chapter 8 and in Mark 140 as well. It's actually in all three 
Gospels. And what's interesting is, is when Jesus heals this woman who is a leper, his instruction to her is to not tell anybody. Okay. Um, he tells her to not tell anybody. There's a lot of reasons that people think uh, why Jesus would tell this person to not say anything about the healing that just took place. Uh, I think the one that lends itself most to scripture is that Christ was on this divine timeline that there were certain things that he must do to fulfill the will of his father. And he didn't want anything hindering him um, as he goes out to do the will of the father. So he explains to this woman, um, don't tell anybody, you know, he doesn't want his plans messed up. In this story, though, however, in Luke, he doesn't say that. He doesn't tell them, don't go tell anybody. He just says, go show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't give them any any uh, um, commands as far as who to tell or not to tell. It says that he's heading to Jerusalem in uh, in chapter uh, or in verse 11 here. It says that he was on the way to Jerusalem. We, we think that this is probably um, his trip to Jerusalem, his second to last trip to Jerusalem at the tail end of his ministry. Um, of course, his last trip to Jerusalem was um, the Holy Week. So it falls somewhere in that, uh, in that range. Um, the, the scriptures are not all, the gospels are not all necessarily written in chronological order. So that's why I like to try to just give the context, figure out where Jesus is when all of this is going on. Um, but it says here that he was walking or he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. He wasn't going into Samaria. He was walking along the border. There was a, a road that they would take, which was outside and more into the, into the land of Perea, where they would travel down to Jerusalem. So he's actually traveling along the border. He's got the Jews on this side and the Samaritans on this side, um, which is going to explain a lot as we get further into the story. So he's walking along the border of Samaria and Galilee, and these 10 leprous men come out and they call to him as he's entering a specific village. We don't know which village it is, but it was a village that he was coming to. Now there were 10 leprous men and they were sitting outside of the city. And there was a reason for that. Um, if you go uh, into, if you ever want to read a couple tough chapters of, 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 uh, of scripture, you could flip to Leviticus 13 and 14. There are literally 113 verses where um, the law prescribes certain things that were necessary if someone had leprosy. Um, leprosy in the Old Testament was really just kind of general skin diseases. Um, leprosy was a term that encompassed all types of skin diseases, and it was to determine how severe a skin condition was because if someone is sick and is near the rest of the people, everybody could come down with it. So the law of God prescribed um, a way to where these people who had something weird growing on their skin could then go and they would be quarantined. And it gave all the list of things to do. Now, if someone wound up having something that wasn't so bad, um, there were seven days in quarantine outside of the camp and the priest would then inspect them. They would inspect them initially set them to quarantine, and then they would inspect them seven days later to see if it got worse or if it got better. If it got better, there was a, a, a whole ritual that they could do where they would inspect them and then they would cleanse them, not just them, but their garments, their homes, everything would get cleaned down. And then there would have to be sacrifice made for these people and they would be let back into the camp. So if it was if it wasn't a serious situation, they would only be away from their families or whatever for seven days or 14 days or however it worked and they'd be let back in. But for those that had really serious skin problems or would come down with actual with leprosy more come how we know it today, 
they would be set outside of the camp and they would be set outside of the camp permanently um, as a hard life. They would be set next to people that had the same kind of skin conditions. This is where we get the idea of leper colonies. These people that were sent away from everybody that meant something to them, they were separated from their families, from their work, from everything. They were set outside of the camp. And these are the types of men that these 10 lepers are. Um, it was, uh, uh, um, it's viewed in many different ways in scripture. People with leprosy were viewed as unclean and, and, um, the, the scriptures actually say that they're, that's why they're set outside of the camp because they are unclean. They're unclean in the sight of men. And not only that, they, a lot of people believe that they were, they were unclean in the sight of God. Uh, there, we have many different instances in scripture where leprosy was used by God as a judgment against people. Um, it wouldn't be hard to, to, to see how people would be able to see these men and, and just kind of cringe away from them. Um, in Second uh, Kings chapter 15, there was a king named Azariah. Um, he's, he's called by Uzziah in Chronicles, but he, um, he usurped the, the authority of priests uh, in his time, and God struck him with leprosy. And it says that he was struck with leprosy until the day that he died. He was moved outside of the camp. The king was moved outside of the camp and he died in quarantine, basically, apart from his people. That was a judgment. We also get um, 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 uh, Miriam, the, the story of Miriam in the Bible, who comes up against Moses. And the Lord tells Moses and Miriam and Aaron, the priest, to come out of the tent of meeting. And he comes down in a cloud and when the cloud disappears, she's struck with leprosy. So God actually uses this as a judgment against people. So we can see how the Jews would have looked on somebody that had leprosy. They were not only unclean from the perspective of man, but they were also must have done something. There's something that they must have done to have been cursed by God. And now they are set apart. They're set outside of the camp. <clears throat> it's important that we see that for... Uh, for how these men were leaving. These guys were truly miserable, truly miserable people. And in verse 13, it says, <clears throat> well, first off in verse 12, that explains why they were, they, they were at a distance when they met him and it was outside of the village. In verse 13, it says, they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. This gives us a clue into the text of, of what these men were thinking. These men knew about the Messiah. They knew about Jesus who had been going around and who had been healing. He healed leprosy earlier on in this book. He'd been doing all kinds of miraculous things. They see Jesus walking in and they know that this is their opportunity to call out for mercy, to call out for healing that they so desperately needed. But it shows also that they had a certain faith. Right, There was a certain amount of faith in these 10 men that Jesus would not only hear them, that he would not only heal them, but he could heal them. They believed that Jesus could do this. And we understand this by what happens next, what happens next in the story. It says, Christ sees them. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. He gives them this command. He recognizes their faith. He says, okay. He sees them, and then he tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. And it was upon their going to the priest that they were healed. They listened to what Jesus said. The faith that they had was that whatever he tells me to do, I'm going to then do it because I know that he can heal me. And by their faith, they are physically healed. They obeyed the command of Christ, and then they go 
and then they receive healing along the way. doesn't say how far they went, but we'll get back to that. So obey the command of Christ. They had faith that he could heal them, go and do what he said to do, and then they receive healing. I want everybody to flip in your Bibles. I want you to flip to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 5. Starting in verse 8. And actually, let me, let me paraphrase this a little bit. So this is the story of Naaman. This is the story of Naaman. Um, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with this story, but in this story, Naaman is the general. He is the general of the Assyrian army. This is a foe to the land of Israel. And um, uh, Jehoram is really scared that they're going to come in and start attacking them. But this man has leprosy. He has leprosy. And he has a form, obviously, that's not, I mean, they didn't really have, the Assyrians didn't have any type of of uh, quarantine rules or the law. Of, they didn't have a, the, the law of God to tell them what to do with leprosy. Um, but they, are, uh, they take this little girl who was an Israelite, they take this little girl captive, and she notices that Naaman has leprosy. And she says, if only you would know my master, my master that lives in Samaria, he is a man of God and he could heal your leprosy. So Naaman goes to the king, the king of the, of the Assyrians, and um, he tells them about this little girl. And he says, okay, well, I'm going to send you to the king of Israel. You're going to go to the king of Israel, and he's going to figure out how to get your leprosy healed. So this king, so this, this general winds up going to the king of Israel, and he says, I've been sent here from my master for you to teach me or for you to show me how I can be healed of my leprosy. And the king knows that this is impossible, right? Like people can't just normally go and heal leprosy. That's not something that we can do um, at all. And the king is desperate. He gets so distressed that he tears his robes. He tears his robes. And uh, Elisha, the prophet Elisha, hears about this. And he sends to the king. He says, send him to me. Send him to me. And God will heal his leprosy. So the king sends Naaman then to Elisha. And Elisha gives him orders. This is uh, through, through um, I'll start here in verse 8. It's, it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. And he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, our, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. He didn't want to wash in the Jordan. Um, are not the Abnon, the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? He didn't want to wash himself in the water because it was dirty. He was like, the Jordan is muddy and it's cloudy. There's much better rivers for me to go dip myself into to be clean. You can't, are you sure you can't just come out and wave your hand over me and the, lep and the leprosy be gone? Why do I have to wash myself in the Jordan? But the command was, Elisha was speaking for God. And he said, you dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and your leprosy will be cleansed. How desperate are you, dude? You know, how desperate are you? The word of the Lord says to dip yourself seven times in the Jordan and you will be cleansed. 
kind of similar to what we have in Luke. Go show yourselves to the priest. It's going to take a certain amount of faith. It's going to take a certain amount of desperation. You're going to obey the command of what's being told to you, and then you will be healed along the way, right? This is what Jesus says to the people here in Luke. This is kind of what's being said here in 2 Kings. Dip yourself into the Jordan seven times. We're going to get back to Naaman. I want everybody just to kind of hold that in the back of their mind. We're going to get back to Naaman, what happens. It's, it's, really, a, it's really a cool story. But let's, let's flip back over to, to Luke, to Luke 17. <clears throat> so now we're back to the story in Luke. These men obey the command of Christ, which is to go show yourselves to the priest, get up, go show yourselves to the priest, and they're healed along the way. Um, you know, it, it doesn't say how far away they got before the one realized that he was healed. This was an instantaneous healing. They're lepers. They're on. They're, they're, they're asking the Lord for mercy. He says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they start to move. And at a certain point, this Samaritan notices that he is completely healed. He's completely healed. He stops, stops him in his tracks and he turns around and he comes to Jesus. It doesn't say how far away they got. Um, I know like in my head, I, I, I put together the story and I like to think that they got about a hundred yards out, you know, like they, they got a little bit down the way. And it doesn't say, it doesn't say if Jesus moved any closer to the village. It doesn't say anything about, about their positioning. But I suspect that Jesus was standing exactly where he was when he healed them. And here's why. We have examples in scripture of Jesus healing people. Not only of him healing people, but of him knowing people. Knowing specific people. When he's coming into, in John chapter 1, when he's coming into specific city, there is a man named Nathaniel who is underneath a fig tree, who is off in the, in, in the distance. And when Nathaniel is gathered by Philip, they come to meet this Jesus, and Jesus already knows everything about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel has, says to him, like, how do, you, how do you know me? And he said, I saw you underneath the fig tree. He knew who he was already. He knew the people that were going to be coming to him. In, in, in the story where Jesus heals the leper here earlier in Matthew or in Luke, um, in Luke chapter four, we get um, this woman who touches his garment. He's surrounded by a group of people and this woman touches his garment and he feels that he, what Jesus says is he, he feels the healing coming out from him and he stops. He's surrounded by Peter's right next to him and he stops and he says, who, who touched me? Who touched me? I, I, I felt the healing come out from me. And Peter tells Jesus, he says, You're, there, there are people crowded everywhere around you. And Jesus, with his eyes gaze on that woman, actually what, what the word says is that the woman, after realizing that she could not be hidden, she was trying to hide from Jesus, but Jesus knew exactly who it was that touched him, exactly who it was that was cleansed. This situation here in Luke chapter 17 is no different. Do we, we can't read this and say that, oh, well, Jesus was surprised when one turned around and came to him and not the other nine. Jesus knew who was going to turn around and he knew that it was going to be a Samaritan. This was not new news to Jesus, right? He knew this man was coming back. And the former leper falls down on his face 
glorifying God with a loud voice. This man, the Greek, the way the Greek that uh, uses that word, um, um, glorifying God with a loud voice, this man was beside himself. He was in complete and utter shock at the healing that had just taken place. And he falls on his feet and he worships Jesus in complete and utter gratitude. But there's a little plot twist here. Not only was this man a leper, it says here, he was a Samaritan. And that's its own sentence. It's bookended by periods here in, uh, in verse 16. He fell on his face at Christ's feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Samaritans, uh, for those of you who know what a Samaritan was in this time, Samaritan was somebody who was utterly disgusting to the Jews. This man would have been considered a half-breed. As a matter of fact, um, there was no, uh, you know, these guys had some sense of, of, of a Jewish lineage, lineage or Hebrew lineage, but, but they were corrupted because they had intermarried. Um, they did exactly what God said not to do when they inherited the, you know, the land. They intermarried with all of the pagans. They followed after false gods. Um, these people were basically viewed as someone who sold out their birthright. These were disgusting, despicable human beings. And they, the Jews did not associate with Samaritans. We get this, we understand this from, uh, from John, from John chapter four with the woman at the well. When Jesus approaches the woman at the well and uh, Jesus asks her for a drink, she actually says to Jesus, you realize, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? These people did not associate with each other at all. They were disgusting to the Jewish people. But it kind of it kind of highlights just how disgusting everybody in this little leper colony was that these Jews had no choice but to intermingle with the, with the ugly, unclean, disgusting Samaritan because they themselves had leprosy. Okay. So we have this whole little crew of, of, of defiled men. And the one that comes back, the one that comes back is the Samaritan out of all 10 is the Samaritan. He's the only one that comes back to give praise and thanks for the healing that just took place. Jesus highlights this. Starting in verse 17, Jesus answered him and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this outsider, this non-Jew? The one guy who was not the, of, the, of the nation of people that were supposed to be the children of God, this one foreigner returns to Jesus, falls at his feet, and gives him thanks. <clears throat> There's no question here, and, and you know, th this, this passage of scripture can double as, this was a real life event. Th this was a real life event that happened in the ministry, in the life of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But there's also a little bit of a parable going on here, right? There's an illustration that's taking place, if, if you think about it. Like this is, this is kind of uh, the, the nine Jewish people can represent the old Jewish system. And I, and I don't want to lose this. I want to highlight this because this is actually what the verse is teaching. I, I think when we look at, at this in its context and we look at it through the scope of Jesus's life, this is the main teaching. I'm highlighting a different part. Of, of the story, but I do want to get this out so that we know exactly what's being taught here. The nine Jews are the people of God, right? This is kind of like a microcosm of all the things that was coming through with Jesus's 
uh, time here on earth. He came to a people that didn't receive him. His own received him not, right? And that we get from, from Isaiah 53, he came to his own and his own received him not. Um, he came and he healed the Jewish people, but he healed the Samaritan also. And the one comes back. The Samaritan um, is representing almost the, 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 the Gentiles, all of us that were going to be grafted into the people of God. This, 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 has, this plays into the whole scope of scripture and the redemptive plan of history. And all of us are beneficiaries of this, right? I'm, I don't think anybody in here is an ethnic, ethnic Israelite. I'm pretty sure of it. We were grafted in. We, we rep- the, the Samaritan is kind of our representative in this story, in, this, in, in the parabolic aspect of this story and praise God. And, and I definitely want to see that and highlight that it is the main teaching, uh, the main thing that this thing, that this passage of scripture is teaching. But I want to keep us for today in the fact that this was a real life event. There was Jesus came upon these real 10 leprous men. And in verse 19, Christ says, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. He receives this worship from this man. And he tells him to stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Made you well, has made you well. The Greek word that's used there is the word sozo. And the word Greek word sozo literally translated means saved. And actually some of your, um, some of your uh, um, translations might actually say that. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. It uses any one of those three variations. But the word sozo and in the way that it's being used literally translated means your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. And we know what Christ is saying here is significant. What he's saying to him is not your faith just hasn't just made you well. We know that it's not just physical healing because we have the other guys that are now 500 yards down the road. They've been made well too, physically. There's something else here. This man was saved. And his response was one of a person who wasn't just made well physically and just thankful for being made well physically. Something changed in this man. It wasn't just taking the blessing and running along with the other nine. I mean, believe me, there was, let's think about this. There were tons of reasons for these men to be excited. I, I was talking about this very verse with a friend of mine one time. And he's like, well, how could you... Jesus couldn't blame the other nine guys, right? Like they had been living in this leper colony outside of the village here. And they had, how long have they been away from their families? How long have they been away from everybody that they love? Like, like this is, this is a huge deal. This is kind of like winning the lottery and running straight to the bank, right? Like it's like, this is, they got so excited that they just ran away from them. Well, so this guy had all those same reasons too. He had all the same reasons to be excited and to, and to jump up and I'm healed and run, you know, to the, to show himself to the priest so that he could start the cleansing process and be let back into all of his people. But something about this instance stopped this man where he put all of that to the side and he comes back to God in the flesh and he throws himself on his face at the feet. And he worships the one who cleansed him, not just physically, but one who cleansed him spiritually. There is a giving up of this man who puts himself prostrate before the Lord of glory and with a gratitude that can only come out in a voice that is loud and glorifying God. He subjects himself to Jesus Christ. Something else happened here. Something else happened here that didn't happen with the other nine. 
His response was utter gratitude, falling on his face in worship, experiencing, this is the, 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 the point, I think experiencing the grace of God, truly experiencing the grace of God leads to worship. Real gratitude, real thankfulness leads to worship, true thankfulness. This true thankfulness that this man has received from Jesus, it can't be separated from worship. It's natural. It comes from that. It's not just, thank you, Lord, for the gift. Let me run and go get back to my family. It is one that brings one to his knees before his Lord and in absolute gratitude, thanks the one who saved him. Right? This is consistent. We believe this grace is irresistible. You know, uh, this one beautiful thing about the reformed faith, you know, I mean, I don't know that everybody, no, not everybody that's here has to be reformed. Not everybody here has to hold to the five points of Calvinism, but we believe in irresistible grace. It's the fourth, it's the fourth one. We believe that when one receives this grace, it is, it's not something that we can turn away. It's not something that you would ever want to turn away. This drives the saint to his knees. This drives the saint to his face before Jesus. This is consistent with what we believe. Um, but it doesn't just bring thankfulness. We can see this man's thankfulness. We can see him before the Lord in all of his gratitude. And we can see the worship that he gives the one who, who saved him. But it doesn't just bring that. It's not just that, right? This is where I want to flip back. I want to flip back over into Second Kings. We remember Naaman. This is beautiful. This is absolutely beautiful. I'm, I'm excited for everybody to, to see it. Second Kings 5. So with the idea of worship and the idea of this true gratitude, we flip back over into 2 Kings and we're going to start at verse 15 and just to catch us up. So, so, uh, so Naaman is really upset that he has to dip himself into the Jordan. He doesn't want to dip himself into the Jordan. The Jordan's dirty. There's surely better rivers that Elisha could have chosen or that God could have chosen through Elisha to, to dip him into. Actually, let's start in uh, let's go to... Um, Let's go to verse 13. So this is right after he's upset and complains about which river he's going to be dipped into. Okay, so then his servants, who are the servants of Naaman, his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? They basically say, shut up and get in the river. Like, pretty much, shut up and get in the river. Like, you, are you telling me that you wouldn't have done Anything that this guy said, but now you want to complain about the water that you're going into, go into the river. You would have done anything else. How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean. Just do it. So he went down, Naaman went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Naaman did what God told him to do. And he went and he dipped himself in the water. And his flesh was like of a little child. It's cool, but it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. Let's go back over to 15. And we're going to stop <clears throat> at, a, I think it's 18. I don't know. I'm going I'm to read. We'll figure out where to stop here. Um, so Naaman comes out of the river. And when he returns to the man of God, who is Elisha, with all his company and came and stood before him, he said this. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. 
So please take a present from your servant now. But Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. There's a reason why Elisha says this. Elisha Elisha says that he's not going to take anything from Naaman because Elisha didn't do anything. God is the one who healed him. If Elisha takes a gift, he dare not take a gift. The Lord is the one who's cleansed the leprosy of Naaman. And Elisha is pointing all glory to God, okay, by doing this. But right after that, it says Naaman urged him to take the gift, but he refused. Elisha refused. And Naaman says this. Naaman says in verse 17, Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth. For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. So apparently what that means, because I was, I was reading that and I was like, so why would then, why, so why does Naaman ask him for two, for, for a load of earth? Why would he want dirt? So like, you're not going to take my gift. So go ahead and give me, I'm going to fill up this wagon with a bunch of dirt and I'm going to take that with me so that I won't. Uh, give any burnt offerings to any other idols because he's coming from the nation of Assyria who has many gods. But what that meant was in the ancient Near East, what they believed, the pagan religions of those days, what they believed was is that you could not make sacrifice to God unless you were worshiping God on the soil from the nation that that God was bound to. Every soil of every other nation had a different God bound to it. So he's still thinking like a pagan And he says, well, let me at least take some dirt with me so that I can worship on that dirt. I'm going to set that dirt up in his house or wherever else. And that was going to be the dirt that he used to worship God because that dirt was bound to Yahweh. And that's where he was going to use. So we asked him to take this dirt. This guy is so changed. This guy is so appreciative of what the Lord has done for him. There was no cure for this man's leprosy. And the Lord God had mercy on him. The Lord God no doubt brought him brought him to Elisha, cleansed him of his leprosy. And what we get from him is him dropping, Naaman drops every single God that he had held to before that moment. We get an act of repentance. Not only is there gratitude, right? We have this thankfulness. This man comes up and he's trying to give Elisha money. Elisha wouldn't take the money. Then he says, okay, well, well then, um, then, then, um, we have this, this gratitude. We have this thankfulness. And he says, well, let me take some dirt then. Let me take some dirt. And I turn from every single worthless idol. Give me this dirt so that I can have a place to worship the one true God, the only God. I know now that there is no other God in this whole world, but one. And that is the God of Israel. Give me dirt so I can worship him on the dirt of the nation that he's bound to. We get this man who is utterly and completely changed by the cleansing that he received in the Jordan River that he didn't even want to go into. And he's an Assyrian. He's not even, he's not even a Jew. This man is an enemy. And this is at a time when, the old, when God's people were, were, were the, was the nation of Israel. This is, this is under a different dispensation of time. God, God was dealing with, with, his, with his people. I mean, obviously his people are people that were people by faith and that's not, that's not changed. That's never changed throughout the whole course of, of the Bible. But this man is, is actually an enemy of Israel. But the Lord extends this to. If we look back over into Luke, we see the similarities. When one is cleansed 
And one is not just cleansed outwardly, but when one is cleansed inwardly, we get worship. We get repentance. This man, the only thing he didn't do that the Samaritan leper did is fall on his face. But that's because Christ wasn't standing there. If Christ was standing there, this man would have hit the dirt. Because the cleansing would have come at the hand of the Savior. It wouldn't have been God cleansing him through the, through, through the, through the rivers of a Jordan. This would have come from the man himself. Worship is, 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 we cannot pull away. I don't know why it does that. We cannot, there is no way to separate true gratitude from an internal cleansing other than worship. It's part of it. It comes with it. So gratitude, worship, repentance. This is what happens when there's an inward cleansing, when it's not just the outward, but the inward cleansing. And this is the application, and we'll, we'll finish up here. This is the final points that I want to make. Thanksgiving is here. It's this week. And there's a very worldly way of looking at Thanksgiving. Don't get me, don't get me wrong. Thank, giving thanks is great. We have so much to be thankful for. Like There are certain things that we have by living in this nation where, where, we, where we should be thankful. We should be thankful that we're not abducted by Haitian militants, right? Haitian terrorists. We are with our families and we're in this church that the Lord has given us and we are worshiping him and we're singing to him together freely. We should be grateful for that. We should be thankful for that. But true thanksgiving cannot be separated from worship. And there's a reason for that. The world is thankful for all kinds of things. There are unbelievers that are thankful for all kinds, of, and they should be thankful for all these things. I can, I'm, I'm thankful for, but, but, but for, for, for Christians, it's different, right? I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my job. I'm thankful for all these things. But as Christians, we understand that all good things, because we can't get out of James completely, James 1.17 says that all good things come from the, hand, from the hands of the Lord. All good things come from him. Everything. If I have a wife to be thankful for, it is the Lord that has given me my wife. If I have a job to be thankful for, it is the Lord that has given me my job. If I'm thankful for the meal that I've had today, it is because the Lord has given it to me and I deserve none of it. I cannot be thankful for something that I have without worshiping God. Everything comes from him. Now, this is a week where we should be looking at the things that we're thankful for, but brothers and sisters, don't forget everything that you have that's worth being thankful for, it comes from Christ. Let every thanksgiving be done through worship. Let it always lead to worship. I am so thankful for the things that I have in my life, but it all comes from him, right? It all comes from him. And the reason why I'm able, the reason why it leads to worship and it leads to acceptable, what I believe that scripture teaches is acceptable worship to God is because I can truly thankful him because he's cleansed me inwardly. This is what I offer to you. The other men, the nine that ran off, we can look at them and we can, we go, oh, I can't believe those men. They, they didn't have a category. They weren't given. They weren't drawn to Jesus by the Father. They didn't have it in them to come back and fall on their face before God and to thank him for the cleansing because the inside wasn't cleansed. So if, we, if our thankfulness towards God brings us back to him, 
where we thank him in worship, it should always end up in worship because we know what it is to be thankful from a different perspective, to, from a thankfulness where we were once enemies of his and we were brought near to him. This is where this thankfulness comes from. This is where this gratitude for him comes from. We don't, we're not thankful like the rest of the world is thankful, right? And that's what I want to highlight in this. And I, and I think this can be proven in, in, Romans, in, in Romans 1.21. Romans 1.21. Um, this is um, Paul in the middle of, of uh, where he's going to get into to all of those who are under the wrath of God. In verse 21, it says, For they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give him thanks. It all comes down to that. And because they did not honor God as God and give him thanks, he gave them over. And that's where we get all the, the lists that we like to use on, on uh, non-believers that are coming against the Bible, right? Romans 1 is the, that's the, the battering ram, you know, that, that what we can use for, for, for people that hate God. But it, it, they didn't seek to honor God as God. They can't honor God as God. They, they, didn't, they didn't give him thanks. All good things that we have, all good things that the Lord has given us come from him. And we give him thanks. That's the difference between the believers and the non-believers. We honor God as God and we give him thanks by the grace of God. Um, but for those who were defiled like the poor leper with no hope, this is the spirit that it comes from. We were all just like that poor leper. We had no hope. But we were cleansed by Christ. And our gratitude is not tied to people and things and places and objects. Our hope and our thanksgiving is tied to the creator of people, places, and things. Other people are grateful for people, places, and things. We're grateful for the creator that created all people, places, and things. Um, and that's our God and Father and his son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So this year in thanksgiving and, and hopefully next year we'll actually have like a thanksgiving service ryan and i talked about it but um you know we're kind of spread out maybe next year when we're a little bit more established lord willing we can have an actual thanksgiving service and we'll all share a meal together and that will be glorious should the lord will that but this year with our families or when we are, are are celebrating thanksgiving let not one single thing that we're thankful for be separated from worship of the one who gave it to us okay Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, oh God, we, we come before you today, Lord, and we, we thank you. We thank you, God, for all of the, the blessings, God, that, that, that we simply don't deserve, Lord. All of the goodness that you have shown poor sinners uh, that, that, that we were, God. Just your, your grace and your goodness even if things were horrible, Lord, even, even if we didn't have the things that we have, God, teach us to be thankful. Teach us to be thankful, God. Teach us not to, to, to apply our, our, our gratitude because of the things, Lord, but, but in spite of them, that have our, our gratitude and, and, and the, the, the paths of our feet be tied to you and who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. Let us remember the moment, God, that you cleansed our hearts. Let our hearts sing out with joy and gladness because of who you are and because of what you've done. Let us remember this and not ever forget it. 
Keep this on our hearts, Lord. Let us go back in our studies tonight and let us read Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19 and give you praise. Let us be like the poor leper who falls on his face, the former leper who falls on his face before his king, giving him praise for all that you've done. You are good, God. We love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen.